a few minutes on what we've covered in, in chapter 14 here. So we're talking about the, the weak and the strong that's in the church at Rome. And Paul is exhorting the, uh, the strong not to, not to receive the weak and try to argue their weaknesses out of them. And for the weak not to come and judge and try to censure the strong. And remembering this, I, I say this every time, but it's important to always remember that we're not talking about sin here. Man in his corruption would take scripture like this and say, well, it doesn't condemn me to sin. Therefore, in Christ, I'm free to do that without condemnation. When the truth is, now if, if we're free to sin with no condemnation, we don't belong to Christ. That's the problem. And so uh, here we're, we're talking about these little traditions of the Jews and of the Gentiles and uh, that there's no commandment in the New Testament or the Word of God about. They, they've just got their own ways of doing things. And so here, one man's esteeming every day alike. That would be your Gentile. The Jew, he's got respect to the Sabbath day and to the new moons and to the Old Testament feasts. And so uh, while there's no sin in either one of those. But there's a, a likelihood of division to be brought from their different opinion and thought there. So Paul says, let's not judge one another about these, these things that are not sin, that are not delineated by Scripture. Don't judge the weak based on their traditions and uh, maybe you could even say superstitions. It's not based in Scripture. And for the weak not to judge the strong because they're free to go about and not do these traditions. And so the first reason that he gives uh, for this not to happen is that we're not our own anymore. We've all been bought with a price. The church, them, them that are saved and born again, they don't, they don't belong to their self. God has bought them and now they are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not here to serve uh, uh, to serve man in any regard. Paul said in one place, if I please man, then I've fell out from following after God. But the truth is, the church is accountable to God and, and he says that, that's the second reason. We're all standing before Him in judgment. We're before the judgment seat of Christ day by day. As He corrects and as... He chastens His children. Those without chastisement, they don't belong to Him. But He's nurturing and growing them as He sees fit as their Father. And so we, we don't belong to ourselves. We are accountable to Christ. And this is all the weak and the strong. And also, uh, they're doing these things with thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. And I, I think that verse right there, verse 6, he that regardeth it, regardeth it to the Lord. He that's uh, weak and is keeping these things, he's doing it to glorify the Lord. And he that's strong, that doesn't regard today, he doesn't regard it to the Lord. He's living for the glory of the Lord. Now is it possible for me to say, well I don't go to church and I don't go to glorify the Lord. See, that's the foolishness of man there. But these, these, are, these are things they're, they're living and doing to glorify the name of the Lord. Not a question of sin in any way. And so we come down through the judgment. He spoke about the judgment. And in verse 13 now, we, we started here. We didn't really get deep into it. But we're going to look at how the church ought to walk towards one another, with a mindfulness of one another. And how many times since we started the practical section of Romans from chapter 12 on has love came up? Many times. The central doctrine of the gospel is charity. Love towards God, love towards the brethren, love towards them that are without. And so again, we're going to walk right down those lines. Therefore, this is verse 13 in Romans 14. 
Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So instead of looking at one another, let's turn that look inwardly and let's judge this. Let this be what we're, our eyes are upon. Let this be what we're concerned about. That my life would not cause you to stumble or harm you in your faith, in your belief of the Word of God, in your confidence in the Savior, in your uh, love for the church. Let me judge that my life does not in any way harm you before the Lord. Man's eyes is always on himself, what's convenient to him, what's good for him, and yet the the eyes of the church are on what's good for everybody else. And that's spiritually now. The spiritual need of every man. So don't be a stumbling block or an occasion to fall. So the stumbling block there, it's a stub. It's something that's sticking out into the pathway. It's a rock in the pathway that's stuck up just enough that if you're not paying close attention, you're going to stub your foot again it and you're likely going to fall. And occasion to fall, that's a trap stick. Picture there, you've, we've all seen, you've got the box and the stick holding it up there. And the, the animal comes in and that trap stick breaks, and they're trapped. And so he's saying, don't, don't be like this towards the brethren. For I Now listen to this. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now we're talking about meat here and the the things that they eat, that the ceremonial law of clean and unclean beasts and animals, in Christ, that picture was fulfilled and that was done away with. And the Word of God says, we know this, that in Christ and because of the grace of Christ, the requirements of the ceremonial law have been set aside. Not the moral law, It's still a sin towards God for me to break the moral law. You know, man wants to say, well, we're not accountable to the law anymore. So you're saying I'm free to murder somebody. That God's not going to be angry if I break one of the Ten Commandments because I'm in Christ. So I'm free to go steal from other people. And I'm free to go lie. See, man, man doesn't really believe it. They may say that, but really, they don't really believe that. We're not free from the moral, but the ceremonial law we're free from. But to the man that esteemeth it to be unclean, if it harms my conscience to take part in anything, whether it's clean by the Word of God or not, if it harms my conscience, then to me, That's what he says here. To him, it is unclean. It's that that would hurt my confidence in God. It's that that the accuser... Now, by taking part, by the Jew eating a pork chop, he's not transgressed against God in the New Testament. But his conscience is hurt. You see that? And so there is a place that our enemy, the devil who as a roaring lion is going about seeing whom he may devour, there when I, when I get down to pray, there the devil is and he's got a place to gouge me. So Paul's going to say this, if you consider it to be unclean, it's unclean to you. You'd be better off for conscience sake not to take part in those things. So verse 15 now. <clears throat> But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. So you're walking not charitably. You're not walking with the love and care of the brethren in mind. He's going to go on down here 
Uh, and, and he's going to speak about walking to edification. And we'll see that. So what we're going to be looking at in these verses is, as I live, I ought to be looking to build you up. That you would become stronger. That you would become wiser. That your understanding would grow in the knowledge of the true Word of God. That my desire ought to be to build you up and not in any way tear you down. But if you're going to take part in this, and what you've got here is you've got people that just want to prove a point. You've got folks that say, these weakling Jews, what foolishness that they're holding on to. I'm going to eat this pork, and I'm going to eat it in front of them, and I'm probably going to sit down beside them and rub it on their plate. They need to get over that silliness. And they're going to prove a point. And they're not walking charitably. They're not looking out for the good of their brother or their sister, but they're looking to prove their point. And that's what he dealt with in verse 1. Not to doubtful disputations. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. We've referred to this chapter and more in Corinthians a time or two. Last time we talked about it just a little, you remember in Corinth the problem with the food was that that was offered to Gentile or to idols. That they had meat that had been burned on an idol's uh, altar and they would sell it in the markets for cheap. And some people who were poor, that's what they could afford, they went out and bought it. But some would say, well, that was offered to an idol. You, you can't eat that. That's, that's been on an idol's altar. But God says in His Word that there's no transgression to eat that that was offered to an idol. But here, we've got to be mindful of our brethren in that as well. So we all have knowledge. You know what knowledge does? He says here, knowledge puffs up. Because I know I want to be bloated in myself and in my pride. And he says here, we all have knowledge. So you know, the, those that thought the idols and that stuff that was offered to them was a sin to eat and to purchase... And those that knew better, that knew that that wasn't the case, they both had knowledge. And that knowledge could very easily puff them up in their thinking of their own selves and cause them to despise one another. He spake that parable to certain that thought themselves were righteous and despised others. That's the Pharisee and the publican that Kevin mentioned. That was the purpose of that parable. So, charity edifies. Knowledge, we can use knowledge to tear one another down and to puff ourselves up in pride of what we are. But charity, you know charity as in 1 Corinthians 13, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. So this is, this is the love of God that He puts by the Spirit in the heart of those that He saves. And that charity that's from God is long-suffering. What that charity can put up with, that's what the word means, to bear long and to put up with. And you know, you you apply that in your thinking of God towards you. What has God put up with from you? What has God endured from you? Not just towards Him, but in every way. You think of the aggregation and the, the sum of sin, the sum of transgression, the sum of even mindfulness. Of God, how much mindfulness 
of God as their being. And God puts up with that day after day. He bears long. That's the way charity is. Charity suffereth long and is kind. You know, you've heard, you've, you've probably said, I've had about all that I can take. You know what that means? I'm at the end of my rope and it's about to get ugly. I'm about to wear your hind end out. And so the Lord, the Lord suffereth long. And you know what He is always? He's kind and He's merciful and He's good. Man did not wake up this morning in hell. But God has allowed a multitude to awaken still with life on this earth and Him forbearing and putting up with sinful and wicked lifestyles and evil in their life. His charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. So there's now envy here. We're talking about a, a jealousy that's so strong it would cause me to despise you. Now you think about how our world operates. And right here, this is a strong tool that the devil uses in our world to divide and to split. He's got more than you. You ought to hate him. And you ought to want to take what he's got because you deserve it. That is the thinking of our world. And that envy leads to despising of one another. It's a jealousy that leads to despising. But you know, charity and that true love, there's no envy in charity. But when I love you as God loves me, when I see you gain, I can be happy for you that you've gained. Be glad for you that God's blessed you and that you're doing well, even if it's better than me. Charity vaulteth not itself. There's no desire in the charity of God to exalt itself above anybody else. This love recognizes that outside of God's mercy, our, all of our lives would be in the gutter of sin and destruction. This charity sees nothing in itself and it doesn't promote itself, but desires the good of others. And is not puffed up. Boy, there's the problem with knowledge. We think we know, we think we're wise, and we're puffed up in that. But real charity is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly in a manner that is impure or incorrect. Charity doesn't rise up in anger and blow up and behave in a way that's inappropriate. Seeketh not her own. It's not out for its own good. You know, you, you see people like that, they're only out for their own good. You've even heard that before. Charity's not after her own good and her own promotion. Is not easily provoked. It's not put in a place of wrath so quickly. If you're not careful, you'll come to a place that you're, you're so sensitive that you'll break at the littlest thing. And the devil through the imagination of the mind, he can make a mountain out of a molehill in a moment. But you know, charity, charity suffereth long, Charity is not easily provoked, but it's thinking the best of one another. Thinketh no evil. So that word evil, often it's injury, harm, wickedness. So if, I, if you dislike somebody enough, you'd, you'd like to see them get hurt. You'd like to see something to injure them in some way. Maybe not physically, but in some way you'd like for there to be retribution. Will the charity of God 
thinketh no injury or harm to one another. The, the God's truth is the Lord has had mercy on our souls and we have received so much good that we were unworthy of. God has been uh, so loving towards us when we had no deservedness of it whatsoever that the church who is the recipients of this love, they walk differently than the natural world that's around it. They're not out for themselves because they have a Savior that was not out for Himself. But He emptied Himself to bring redemption for mankind. They don't think highly of themselves because the church realizes that if God had not intervened in their situation, they would have continued on down a road of destruction and ended their life in sin and in hell lifted their eyes. The church, when the church is soberly thinking spiritually and by the Scripture, the church recognizes that there's nothing good of her, but it's all of God. And so there's nothing to be puffed up. There's nothing to think highly of me about. I could very easily be as foolish as the most foolish person on the face of this earth if it were not for God's mercy and His call. I could very easily be as wicked as the most wicked person on the face of the earth if it were not for God's mercy and His call. So He says here, If thy brother be grieved with thy meat... Walkest now walkest thou not charitably. You've been a recipient of charity. Now you ought to walk charitably toward them that are around you. And if you know that doing this is going to harm your brother or your sister, you ought not take part in that. But walk in charity seeking the good of everybody round about you. Now, if I want to prove to you how smart I am, then I'll be willing to hurt you to do it. But if I want to help you, and if I'd like to strengthen you, if I'd like to help you grow in understanding, it's not going to be about me. It can't be. So walkest thou not charitably. And listen listen to how he says this. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. That's the last part, Romans 14, verse 15. So what's he saying here? Now we're not talking about taking somebody's salvation. We we know that that's not possible. Vaughn quoted Wednesday, that no man can pluck him out of my hand, and then we're in the Father's hand, and he's greater than all. So the salvation of the church is in a place that is so secure that it's untouchable. And thank God for that. But now here here is somebody that God has saved. Whether they're the weakest person in the faith that you've ever known or not, in Christ they're righteous. And Christ died for that individual. You see that? the weakest person in the church that you know of, the one that knows the least, and yet they're saved. Their life has been changed. The Holy Spirit lives in them. You know, the Lord Jesus died for them that they could be where they are today. You know that in Christ, they're just as righteous as you are if if they're saved if they have the Holy Ghost within them and God has wrought a change in their life, in Christ, we're all equals. Join ours. And so, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Don't be so petty. Now, let's talk about it in context of the Scripture. I believe we can see it in context of our day. Don't be so petty that a pork chop would harm your brother that Jesus died for. Don't be so petty 
that you're going to do something that to God's truth is don't matter that's going to harm them and cause them to be hurt towards God that God loved, God elected, and Christ died for. You think about that now. He says, Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. So don't allow your good to be evil spoken of. Now, you know, if, if the strong, if they got them a pork chop at the market and they took it home and they cooked it in, the, in their house and there they eat it and the church didn't see that, then no, there's no harm there. They've not sinned. They've not transgressed the commandment and the law of God. They've not harmed their brother by taking part in that. <clears throat> so there is a care that ought to be taken. But see, what you've got here is we're going to prove our point. And what ends up happening is their good winds up being evil spoken of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Conscience, I say, not thine own, <clears throat> but of the other. For why is my liberty judged? of another man's conscience. For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? So there's Paul here, he's asking questions. He says, how can another man's conscience judge me as I stand before God? And if I by the grace of God am a partaker of these meats and am not condemned... How can I be evil spoken of for that that I'm thanking God for providing me? And yet, and yet, that happens. And so he says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Again now, we want to honor the Father that brought us into the family, the Savior that gave His life for us, the Holy Ghost that dwells with us. We're seeking to honor God in all things that we do. And so, if we're honoring God, is it honorable to God that I hurt my brother? Now you answer that. Here's one that Christ died for. Here's another that Christ died for. They're both saved. The Holy Ghost dwells in them. They're children of God by faith. Does it please God that one would hurt another? Is there any glory to God in that? See, it's the same argument for the sin argument in this Scripture as well. Does it glorify God that I sin? Absolutely not. And that can't be what he's talking about. But he says, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, neither to the church of God. Walk in a way that would not be offensive to anyone that's round about you. Whether it's your conscience or theirs. I'm to be mindful of those that are round about me. In 1 Peter chapter 2, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So God is saying as you walk and as you live, Paul's going to say, and I may have it wrote down later, Paul's going to say in Philippians, I believe, be blameless and harmless, the sons of God walking as shining lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So, you know, we can walk in a manner that's harmful to one another. We can act in a manner that's harmful to one another. But God says, walk in charity. Be mindful of your brother. Don't in any way harm their conscience, cause them to stumble, cause them trouble in the faith, but walk in love one towards another. 
So, the next verse. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So here's another reason not to judge the strong and for the strong not to uh, disesteem the weak. Because none of this matters. None of this is important in the least bit. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, but meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Fact of life. Paul says those that eat pork chop in faith, in the newness of grace in the New Testament, they're not any better for doing that. And uh, they're not any worse. It doesn't harm them to take part in that. They're not better. They're not worse. And the Jews the same way. They're going to withhold and not eat those things. Well, withholding doesn't make them any better and it doesn't make them any worse. You know why that is? The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It is not in the carnal actions of the flesh that God is going to be served. It's not in... See, people are hung up in religion. Lord have mercy, religion is sweeping churches. And it's what I do. And it's my behavior. And people think that I'm going to behave better and that's going to glorify God more. When the truth is now, I think this is elementary if you'll really think about it. I ought to behave better simply because... He's my Father, and I belong to Him, and He saved me. So when I do better, honest to God, I'm only doing what I ought to do from the beginning. I've not gained one thing. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So another place, we're going to read a few verses here. Colossians Chapter 2, verse number 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. So we're looking back again here at ceremony and at law. And boy, in this day, Judaizers were what were so prominent in the day of Paul's writings. And what they're doing is they're going around to churches and to save people and saying, look now, you may be in Christ and you may be saved, but if if you don't get circumcised and if you don't get your diet correct and if you don't do as the law says on the Sabbath day, then you're really not saved. You can't be right with God and not keep all these little laws. It's necessary to keep these laws in order to be righteous with God. That's what they taught. Now you think about, if you would, if you would, use your mind and think about a lot of the preaching you hear today. That very message is still being proclaimed today that your standing with God, what you do is affecting how God looks on you. Well, that's what they're preaching and teaching here. But Paul says, let no man judge you in these ceremonial things. So, verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. All of that religion of the Old Testament That was the shadow. So the picture is there. You're standing around a corner. The sun's shining this way. And here's somebody's coming. And the first thing you see is the shadow of their head. And as they get closer, that shadow's running on out and on out. That's what the law and the ceremony was. 
It was the shadow of the Savior that was coming. You could see the form, you could see the fashion, but to really identify who it was, you really couldn't do that. You see that? And so the law was just a shadow, but the body. The church is not produced from a shadow, but from the living, breathing, resurrected Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The church wasn't born by ceremonies and traditions and religion. The church was born by the power of God through Jesus Christ. So don't let a man judge you in these old things that were just a shadow. Let no man beguile you of your reward. You talk about a reward. The church has a reward. Peace. Peace. Wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. God has given peace and absolute assurance unto His people, the church of the living God. He has, as Christ taught, you're in my hand and in the Father's and you cannot be plucked out. As Jesus taught, I've given my sheep eternal life. An eternal work that can't be taken away. That you have eternal peace with God in Jesus Christ. And here comes these that would like to beguile you of that. They want to take that reward from you and replace it with you need to do this, that, and the other in order to be right with God. And if you don't do that, then you can't be right with God. And I tell you, the men that preach stuff like that, they're blind to their own self. I do not for one second believe that they do as they pretend to do day by day. There's no way. There's no way. But we are trusting in Christ. Beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. Now look where the attention and the focus is placed by this doctrine. Voluntary humility, it's me. I'm going to lay myself down. I'm going to do this work. I'm going to do it even though really it's not commanded. I'm going to do it and it's going to be me that gets this job done. And a worshiping of angels. New Testament angels often refer to the ministers of the gospel of Christ. So where is the attention? It's on what I'm doing and it's on the man in the pulpit. It's on man. The reward has been stolen because the focus has been turned from Christ that died for him, and it's turned to me and the man. I'm dependent now on what I'm doing. Intruding into those things which he hath not seen. Who's he? The angel. The preacher. The man that's proclaiming this doctrine... He's proclaiming this works of man and these laws of man and he's intruding. What is an intruder? Somebody going somewhere they don't belong. They're preaching things that that don't belong in the church. It's not out of the Bible. And they don't understand it as they ought. And they are, I'm still, this is out of Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. A man that's got it all figured out and worked out. And I know, I know, whether it's the Bible or not, the Bible's not going to change my mind. The Holy Ghost is not going to change my mind. I know what's best for you. And I know what's best for me. And they're promoting this doctrine. And here's the problem with it. Verse 19, And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. So Christ, the head of the church, He's been taken off and set aside. 
The body can live without a finger. body can live without an arm. can live without a foot or a leg. can live without any limbs. But you take the head off the body. And what's the body left with? There's no hope of life, is there? There's no doc going to fix that. You can't carterize that. Life is gone. Well, here, these men have taken the focus off Christ. And what Paul's saying in Colossians, they took the head off of the church and set Him aside and put the focus on the works and the deeds of man. The preacher's going to talk them into the altar and we're going to work it up. What we do is going to result in the salvation of somebody else. And if you're going to think soberly now, when have you ever done good enough? And do you think it's possible for you to do good enough to result in somebody else's salvation? Men proclaim that doctrine and they got people in their own family that's lost. I've heard, that, I've heard that preached and the man say, I've got two daughters that's lost. Remember them. I tell you, man, man ought to be careful what he proclaims and how that he's puffed up in his mind. Hebrews 13, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace and not with meats which have not profited them, which have been occupied therein. So this religion, and if you want to be technical, the religion of the Jews, which came from God, you see that? What good did that do them? Did that save them? Did that forgive their sin? Did that bring them to a right state with God? No, they, even all through the Old Testament, they died looking ahead. They died looking towards the Lord Jesus Christ. They died looking, even Moses himself in Deuteronomy, the giver of the law and the ceremonies. Moses said, God's going to send another one. God's going to send another prophet. He's going to be like unto me, but he's going to be greater. Even Moses himself was pointing to another one that was to come. He says in Hebrews, these religious and these ceremonies, they never profited anybody that was occupied therein. Rather, people that had took part in these their whole life, they're still lost. So it's, it's important that the heart be established with grace. Where ought the heart be established? Well, the heart of them that are saved and born again ought to be established in this, that it's only by the intervention of the grace of God in our life that we're saved. It's not because I was seeking God. It's not because I earned God's uh, coming to me. It's not because God saw good things in me and said, I'm going to save them. It's not because the church done something and brought me into the family, but it's only by the divine grace of God. The heart ought to be established in grace, not in works or in deeds of man. Now, he's, we've covered it in Romans. He makes a very plain statement in Romans 11 that grace and work, they cannot be together and they are direct opposites. That if there's any work involved, then it cannot be of grace. Grace is unmerited, unwarranted, and unearned. That's the very definition of grace. So if there's any work then that's done that brings it about, it's not of grace. Ain't that true? Whether that's me working to have it, or the church working to get it for me. If the church earned it, then I didn't get it of grace. 
God was paying the church for what they done. No, it's good that the heart be established in grace. I'm going to tell you, you can accuse me of saying that the church is nothing. But I've, I've never said that. The church is God's people. The people that God has saved and indwelled with His Spirit. The people that God has left on the earth to be the pillar and ground of the truth. The people that the gospel message of Jesus Christ goes out to the world from. But the church ain't saving people. God's using the church to save people. God works through the church to bring people to Christ. It's not the works of man. Let your heart be established in the goodness of the grace of God. Be thankful to Him for His work. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What is the kingdom? It's righteousness imputed. In Romans 4, we already covered this scripture, if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Now ain't that something? Uh, The Bible is just worded so, so perfectly. That if, if Abraham earned it by works, then Abraham's got something that he can glory in, but not before God. Paul says, now certainly every one of us has got enough sense to recognize that Abraham's got nothing to boast in in God's face. But see, where the boasting is, it's all carnal. It's all amongst me and you. It's look what I did, and it's saying it to you. And now, is, is it not reasonable if Abraham had some work in his salvation, he could boast in the work that he did that helped his salvation. Is that not true? That's what he says in Romans chapter number 4. He hath whereof to glory. If there was any work that brought about his justification, he's got something to glory in. For what saith the Scripture? Where's Paul going to take us? What's the Bible say? You don't hear much of that anymore. We read a hundred verses, and none of it's preached. It's just rambling. But Paul says, for what saith the Scripture? So what's the Bible say? Well, in Genesis, the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. That's what the Bible says. It was his belief, his faith, his possession of faith that he had and God imputed righteousness to him. Now if believing is a work, then does he not have something to glory in? But how did Abraham get this faith? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Where did Abraham's faith come from? God came one day and He said, Abraham, I want you to pack your bags and get out of here. God came to Noah one day and said, No, I'm going to destroy the earth. I want you to build an ark. And you know what this Word of God did? This effectual Word of God. It was more than a whisper in the wind. This was a Word that stirred their hearts. I believe you can see it best in the disciples that Jesus passes by and says, Follow me. And there they are fixing their nets on the job and they lay everything down and get up. See, that was more than words. There was an effectual working of the Holy Spirit inside of their hearts. And it was that Word of God coupled with the Spirit working in them that produced the response to the Gospel. 
There's no glory for Abraham because God spoke to him. So let's keep looking here. Romans 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. Now if, if God says, now look, I've done all of this. I've done 99% of it. Now you do this 1% and I'll save you. Then I've got 1% to do. I've got a work to do. And it can't be of grace then. How can it be of grace if I'm doing something? God says, you do this work and I'll save you. It's not grace anymore. It's something I've done. And I, I don't know why that's so hard to I don't know why that's so hard to see. A man will argue with you to your face about this right here. But if God gives everybody the same call, and some believe and some don't, they've done a work to believe it. They've got something to boast in above those that don't believe it. And yet, God says there's nothing to boast in. And God says to him that worketh, the reward cannot be of grace. But it's debt. God owed it to you. Because you did that, God owed it to you. And that's why you're saved. You did it. Even if it's just 0.1%, you better believe it. If it's 0.1%, I can say I did that. Now God, I've done it. Now you saved me. That ain't the way it works. It's not the way it works. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth, justifieth the... It's, this is an amazing word. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Not the good. Not the God seekers. Not the righteous people. Not those that are religious. But God's justifying ungodly people. He is. He's justifying the ungodly. And do you know why that is? It's for His glory. There's no way that the ungodly can say, well, I earned that. There's no way. His faith is counted for righteousness. The righteousness that Abraham had, he did not earn. He could not have earned it. But he received righteousness imputed from Christ to him. We'll, we're out of time. We'll finish that verse next time. Anybody, anything on your heart you'd like to say?